Good morning. This is the QTR Podcast. Today is August 21st, 2021. I am super stoked to have Tesla Charts with me today to talk about the ongoing dumpster fire that is AI Day, the Solar City trial, etc., etc. Before I do that, I want to do some housekeeping. Let me just tell you first and foremost, patrons are what keep keep blah 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 blah, blah. nice job, fuck face. Patrons are what keep the podcast up and running. Patrons are people that sign up and donate a monthly recurring sum to help support the podcast. I am going to shout those people out. Thank you so much for your continued donations. Uh, I really appreciate that shit. There's no better way, uh, if you enjoy the podcast, to show love than to sign up on Patreon. Uh, For any dollar amount you want, it's all appreciated. There's never advertisements in the middle of any of my podcasts. I hate when people do that shit. Uh, and so uh, you listen to a little thing now, and then that's it, and we get on with the interview, and we go with it, and the patrons make that possible. The podcast will always be free. First and foremost, I want to shout out my exclusive gold and silver providers over at JM Bullion. JM Bullion is the only place I buy my gold and silver bullion. They have a wonderful reputation. They've been in business for nearly a decade now. They've done over $3 billion in sales. The link to them is in my podcast description. They have great inventory. They turn around my orders quickly. And of course, QTR podcast listeners can reach out to Laura, L-A-U-R-A at jmbullion.com for anything they need gold and silver related. If you don't feel like going through the website, you want a personalized touch of a salesperson because when you're buying bullion, you know, sometimes you want to talk to a human being, reach out to Laura at jmbullion.com. She'll get you taken care of with whatever you would like. I love the guys at JM Bullion. They have been supporting me for a while, and I appreciate the shit out of them. This podcast also brought to you by the Doomberg Terminal. One of my new favorite substacks to read is the Doomberg Terminal. It is a skeptical and cynical yet astute take on markets, which if you're like me is the angle I love uh, to come from. I love reading things that are skeptical and cynical at first that question the answers. As I said on my podcast a couple of weeks ago, and, uh, and I've really been enjoying reading the Doomberg Terminal. It is 100% free to sign up to their uh, Substack, which you can do in the podcast description. You can also follow them on Twitter. So if you're looking for some great reading content, the uh, Doomberg Terminal is a great place to check that out. Also a great place to find some great reading material is over at George Gammon's Rebel Capitalist Pro. Rebel Capitalist Pro is a platform with George Gammon, Lynn Alden, Chris McIntosh, Brent Johnson, and another handful of people that are 10 times smarter than I'll ever be, even if I live to be 150 years old. They have an online forum where they discuss economics and markets in the world of, as George says, central bankers run wild, you know, which is really what's going on. I just say shit show. It's easier to say it like that because it's a more encompassing term. But check out Rebel Capitalist Pro. I'm over there on the forums all the time. They do like live Q&As three or four times a week with guys like Brent Johnson and George Gammon where you can ask your questions. They're super engaged with their fan base. George is a great guy. He's an honest person to do business with. He'll get you a free trial over there if you want to check out his service. Just tell him quotes sent you and that you don't want to give a credit card or any bullshit or nonsense, and he'll make sure that you get taken care of. Similarly, my friend Wall Street Jesus and Sang Lucci over at the Steam Room, which is really the best piece of software you can have for tracking unusual options activity and flow in the options market, which if you're a trader you know, oftentimes can telegraph where equities are going to move. My buddy Sang Lucci and Wall Street Jesus have been putting together the steam room for 10 years now. They were the first 
to look at unusual options activity before it became a mainstay on Wall Street. These guys are ahead of the curve. They have a beautiful piece of software. They have a wonderful trading community. And the Steam Room is one of those products that if you don't use it like an asshole, might pay for itself, uh, you know, at some point. Or maybe it won't if you're an idiot. Either way, you should check out my buddy Sang Lucci. And uh, he will be on the podcast again soon. His info is also in my podcast description. So any of those people that you want to check out, JM Bullion, the Doomberg Terminal. I mean, there's nothing to, to buy there. That's 100% free. Uh, Rebel Capitalist Pro or the Steam Room. You want to check out any of those things? Those are four of my friends. I like doing business with these people. Tell them I sent you. Tell them you want a free trial. Tell them you want free shipping. Tell them you want whatever. And, uh, and they will work with you to get you uh, a decent deal for being a QTR podcast listener. This podcast also brought to you by my friends at Corvus Gold, my friends at Investors Underground, Ken R., Chris Bead, Nicholas Parks, Matthew Zimmer, my buddy Jay Mintzmeyer. What's up, man? Russ Valenti, Crichton Titus, and Camila Soul are all still in the house. I want to shout out some of my newest patrons, some people that have signed up recently like Sam Hernandez, John Ritchie, Charles Sharp. Thank you guys so much. Mark Wilcox and Justin and Anonymous is in the house. Nathan Hinton, thank you, my friend. Anthony Dench and Adam Schindler, Nick Grinups, Texas Pete, and Diane Moore, all in the house. Scrooge McDuck still here with the Mad King of Metals. How about Gregory Endress? Thank you so much. Jacob Lowry, James Haas, and Bordoni still here. I'm going to shout out some other patrons that continue to support the show, like Justin Wilson, Lucas Dara, Rainer Schwartz, Michael Towns, Daniel Reiter, Marcos M. And then let's go way back on the list to some people that have been patrons of this podcast. These people have been supporting this podcast since 2018. When I started, I didn't have a microphone. I didn't have a brain. I didn't have anything. I still don't have a brain, but I have a microphone now. Charlotte loves Tesla. Want to shout you out. Thanks for your continued support. Michael J. Carl Nixon. Uh, Chris Boas. We always say you. Mick Dosty, you too, brother. Thank you. But I can't thank you enough. Chris Bede, man. And Robert Micello. Thank you so much. Peter Schwartz. Grant Garden. Still in there after all these years, man. You guys are A-OK in my book. This podcast has a three-drink minimum. Used to be two. We adjusted for inflation. Any questions about that? Just uh, consult your local economist who can uh, sum it up for you. Don't worry. It's just transitory. We'll be back to two in no time. Actually, there's a much higher likelihood the drink minimum will be raised uh, at some point soon. But that's really the only reason I watch CPI, just to make sure that I'm adjusting the drink minimum accordingly. I am not a registered investment advisor. I hold no licenses, no registrations. This is not a uh, solicitation to buy or sell any securities. Please don't take my advice. That would be the best advice I could give you. So take that advice, but don't listen to anything else that I have to say. This is a one-star podcast. I started this recording this morning with Tesla Charts. After I woke up, I had lost my voice because I was yelling a lot last night. So when the, uh, when the recording starts, uh, my voice will be shitty, and then it gets better as I continue to sip my uh, coffee, uh, if you'd like to call it that, uh, early this morning. But I am uh, super stoked that I had TC on, and here is the interview. The only reason I'm not going right from this into the interview, I had to re-record this beginning spiel because my voice was so fucked up earlier this morning that it was just awful to listen to. So uh, as uh, as the interview starts with TC, uh, and we cover a lot of shit, the Solar City Trial, AI Day, uh, pretty much anything and everything new in the world of Tesla, uh, my voice is a little scratchy, but... Uh, that's that, you know, M's the breaks. You want to go out on a Friday night? You're going to sound like shit Saturday morning. Congratulations. All right. 
Oh, Jesus Christ. Sorry, buddy. I, I just I'm started to get the fucking up. recording and you're clearing your throat already. I mean, it's bad enough. <laughs> it's bad enough. I sound like shit. I, I hit I the... Try to get... I tried to get it out just before you started, and I fucked up. I'm sorry. I hit the fucking button, and as soon as I hit the button, it's just like, <clears throat> you good? I'm good. All right. Nobody has any, like, immediate, like, uh, phlegm or mucus needs that they need to tend to? <laughs> I'm good now. All right. Okay. Uh, I apologize in advance. I lost my voice last night, but I was just telling the listeners, I feel much better than I sound. Don't equate my awful sound with, you know, me being on my deathbed, because I'm not. Good morning, Chris. Uh, doing great. Uh, nice and early on a Saturday morning, and uh, always a pleasure to chat with you. We have got lots of, uh, shall we say, fascinating things to discuss uh, this time for sure. Oh, my God, dude. My fucking head hurts, man. My head hurts. I mean, I just, you know, I remember watching when they rolled the Cybertruck out on stage, and <laughs> I remember thinking, this can't is get worse. insane. Yeah, it can't. Yeah. I, you know, I just, he's lost it, right? It, when they rolled the thing on stage, I mean, not only did, was it hideous aesthetically, but you knew it just, you know, wasn't going to be able to be put together like that at any point soon, and it didn't exist. And so there were many reasons to just laugh. And when I say that I laughed, I mean, I laughed. Through, I think that, I think the Cybertruck reveal, I was a little stoned for. So I was laughing a lot. This one, I was not. Um, and I didn't watch the entire AI day, but I got the gist. And... What the hell is going on? So I was thinking about this and how to frame it for the discussion this morning. And in the most important way, it was a smashing success for Elon because the intent of that robot, person, dancing, humanoid, whatever it was, uh, was really a giant search engine optimization exercise. You always say that. You always say that he's like yeah. trying to edit SEO. Do you think that's you think that's true? Well, let's take a step back. Uh, so first of all, I have very visceral firsthand experience. So I, I very quickly was among the first to get a proper screenshot video recording of just the right moment of the robot walk humanoid, whatever it was, was walking on stage um, and posted it. It's my pin tweet and it's gone, you know, for, for me, super viral. It has over 2 million impressions, right? Um, the walls are kind of closing in on Elon. If you take a step back. So yes, you're correct. A, a, a go-to assumption for me in analyzing Elon's behavior is he is trying to divert attention away from something else, i.e., change the narrative in the in the news story. You know, and, and I've I've got some significant public relations training and some crisis management training, and the standard one of the standard operating procedures is any other story is better than this one. Um, so right. if you just think about what's happened in the past two three weeks, you had the NHTSA announce hopefully for the first time they're going to do something about autopilot slash full self-driving. They announced that they're uh, opening up a formal investigation into Tesla. And it, it's narrowly focused on the fact that Tesla's keep crashing into emergency response vehicles pulled over on the side of the road because of an accident. Yeah. And, so, and it's all models in all model years, right? Like yeah. all the way back to 2014, yeah. right? That, that could be a pretty devastating investigation if it goes the way some people think it'll go. I should say for the record, I'm skeptical and I've been pretty harsh on the NHTSA because of their years and years of inaction. I mean, everybody listening would probably know, but they've been selling full self-driving for five years and it's anything. But I don't understand how that's legal or how it's tolerated. But nonetheless, back to the original point, um, the NHTSA opened up a formal investigation. Two sitting U.S. senators wrote and published 
a letter to the FTC demanding that they look into um, Tesla's marketing of autopilot and full self-driving as being deceptive. And, you know, um, in the letter, senators basically said something to the effect of leads directly to accidents, injuries, and deaths. It's not every day that you have sitting U.S. senators effectively accuse a company of facilitating deaths of U.S. consumers through, you know, um, through deceptive advertising. Uh, if you look at what's going on um, in China, you know, they've been under extreme regulatory pressure in China. Um, and then obviously they're dealing with the chip shortage like everybody else. So there's been a string of pretty bad news and threats on them. Then, of course, something else that I'm sure we'll talk about on this podcast is the Solar City trial has wrapped up in Ooh, Delaware. And, baby. and so the man has a lot of reasons for search engine optimization and narrative shifting. And this has worked miraculously well. I mean, this is literally the only thing they're talking about. And in fact, if you go even sort of one step further down, that AI day was really an admission of guilt. I mean, they spent the first two hours of the event essentially proving that they were nowhere near ready full self-driving four years ago, five years ago, you know, uh, three, two years ago, even now. They still have a very long way to go to get anywhere near what the industry would recognize as level four or level five autonomy. And they're selling a product called full self-driving. Um, it, the, the analogy would be I'm selling a hamburger called 100% beef, even though it's a, a, a veggie burger. Um, it couldn't be further from full self-driving. And so I, I, it, it baffles me how people can't see what's going on. There are many who do, believe me. You know, there, there are many, many people who see the sort of the, the integral of cons for what they are. Um, but this, this robot humanoid dancing person in a leotard, um, I have to say... It's the most I've laughed in years. Uh, I was literally crying in tears as I was posting the the pin the, the tweet that is currently my pin tweet. Uh, it's one of those moments, like you say, it's up there with the Cybertruck. Wow. And the only the only one that I would say is comparable to is because it was again late at night and and Twitter was on fire was when um, Elon smoked weed on Joe Rogan's podcast. That was another one of those like whoa moments that I just see what I thought I saw. I remember when this entity walked on stage and started doing a very mediocre breakdance. I, I I was literally in disbelief for several seconds as to what it was that I was watching. Well, I've just seen like better promotional tactics from the twenty million dollar over the counter microcap frauds. I mean it's just <laughs> seriously though. I mean I know I, I'm it watch looked... I'm watching it and I'm like, this is a seven hundred billion dollar yeah. Company yeah. seven hundred billion, and this is what they do. And it's it's it, like they threw it together the night before they got on stage. Like, yeah, look, we'll put, put the costume like a, on you. You get up there and you fucking dance. It's like what, like what? I mean, let's. We, there's a lot to unpack here. I mean, we. I want to talk about full self driving, but I mean this this product. I mean, when you're when you're talking about one upping the list of non-existent products that yeah, likely will yeah. never happen or in any meaningful fashion. You know, you just add another huge one to the list. I mean, the company has no experience in, you know, building these types of humanoid robots. I mean, I don't know. Does he just think you can just throw these together? You know, I mean, that that seems to be his uh, thought process with a lot of this stuff. Like, yeah, we'll just get into tunnels. You know, like like nobody's ever <laughs> gone into it before and figured out what the best practices of the industry are or the economics of it. You know, and it's the same with autos, right? Look, yeah. the, the, the dealership model existed for a reason. 
best practices existed in the industry for a reason already. You know, so sometimes there's nothing to disrupt, you know, and and it's like, and if you are going to disrupt, you're going to have to be bringing something to the, to the table that nobody else has. And, and what what do they have? I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's a farce. I mean, it's just, it's a farce at this point. I have to say two things. So first of all, the stage and the setting. I mean, I, I went to my daughter's junior high talent show last year you know, before COVID lockdown. And the um, the stage was far more sophisticated and better looking. And the presentation quality was a, was a higher caliber than what was thrown together for this event. As you say, could you imagine an Apple product reveal oh looking God. like that? Um, but secondly, imagine you were, you, you're a, a legitimate robotics engineer at Boston Dynamics watching this. Um, this Boston Dynamics is, is you know, a 30-year-old company spun out of MIT, does some of the most innovative, cutting-edge robotics technology on the planet. And you're watching this guy bring out a dancer in a leotard. Uh, and then he just claims, you know, flippantly that he's going to solve the industry's toughest problems in a year from a standing start with no experience. Yeah, I like, um, I like how the one slide said technical details on top. And then the yeah. three things it said were like uh, arms, face, and legs. So I was like, wow, yeah, you really got into the fucking specifics there. <laughs> it could deadlift 150 pounds. Yeah. Oh, oh, it can? Okay. You know, while we're just making shit up, you know, glad, yeah. glad you got technical details, he called it. Two legs, oh, you give it two arms, oh. <laughs> Well, it, this is another example, though, I think, just to, to follow on the point I was making of what we've, you know, I think I coined the phrase, the realization. So there isn't a robotics engineer on the planet now that doesn't know Elon Musk for who he is. The, the realization right. happens when Elon walks into your field, spews a bunch of nonsense, and then makes fun of you for not having thought of it before. And, and you're then never there. delivers the product. Yeah. Well, because it's impossible. If it was that easy, it would have been done already. And by the way, just so everybody knows... Who owns Boston Dynamics? Hyundai does. You know, Toyota and Honda had uh, delivered robots 10 years ago. The, the right. entire automotive industry is deeply interested in robotics for good reason. They're spending billions of dollars on it. And, you know, uh, none of them would be so audacious as to simply present a humanoid in a leotard and claim some technical breakthrough. But if you look, I mean, at least half the stories of the event are presenting this as though it's got some degree of seriousness. Well, that's what I was going to ask. I was going to ask, you know, are you seeing any... Oh, yeah. In the way that this is received, are you seeing any more skepticism from people that normally would just take him at face value than than you have in the past? You know, or or is the sell side just going to rush to, you know, build out a a DCF model based on this non-existent product going out 50 years so they can 10x their price target? So I, I see sort of three or four categories of respondents. So on the most extreme are the Tesla bulls for whom anything this guy says is, you know, Moses has descended from the heavens with tablets and there shall be there shall be Tesla bots next year. And um, it's a 50 billion dollar net income per year product. And so it should add a trillion dollars to, you know, at a, at a conservative 20 times uh, you know, a PE ratio, you can add another trillion dollars of uh, valuation to Tesla. Yeah, um, just go ahead and bake that into the stock today. Yeah. Don't, don't worry about the actual execution risk. Then there's a separate category of what I would call sort of neutral journalists who dutifully have to report on the event, and they'll start sentences with Elon revealed or Elon claimed or Elon said. Um, and, you know, it's, 
it's difficult for reporters in those circumstances because they're just sort of fact-based reporting on the event. Then there's the Wall Street crowd. I've seen a mix. Uh, Dan Ives, to his credit, came out and called it a head-scratcher and a distraction. Um, Dan Ives is the usually pretty bullish analyst who covers Tesla from Webbush. Um, and then there's the rest of the world that sees this for what it is. You know, um, like there's got to be that the population of people who see that this is an emperor with no clothes didn't shrink after that event. Um, I, I suspect it grew. Um, again, that tweet I put out, had the, the video has almost 700,000 views. That's a lot of people for a tweet from a Tesla Q sort of skeptic side. Normally, Jack boxes us off and we're only tweeting to ourselves all the time. Uh, I think the audience, that's got to convince a few people that, wait a minute, I mean, this is what, what's going on here with this. So that's sort of the, the reflection. But there's there's no shortage of reporting on the event as though it's possible and I, I say this definitively there will never be a tesla bot as described at that event ever yeah well they're certainly putting a lot of things on their plate to take care <laughs> of aren't they i mean uh it's unbelievable yeah it's, they, 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 they haven't figured out profitable vehicles you know creating vehicles profitably consistently without selling zev credits all right so maybe just start there but fine you want to go one iteration from that let's start with the full self-driving lie, right? So far, you have that huge lie that needs to get dealt with, and the chickens are coming home to roost. You know, you've been taking in $10,000 a car for this uh, service for half a decade now, and people are starting to ask a lot of fucking uncomfortable questions. So you, yeah. you've run out of time to try to kind of catch the uh, cart up to the horse here. Well, um, it gets worse, and, Chris. And, and instead, And instead, you've come out and, you know, you talked about the semi, you talked about the roads to rocket boosters, and you talked about Neuralink, and you talked about this, that, and the other, and now you're throwing on top of it the Tesla bot. The Tesla, why the fuck not, right? Why not? Yeah, we're going to create a humanoid robot, yeah. All right. Like, so it, it go ahead. gets worse on full self-driving. Um, so the industry is dealing with a chip shortage, well, and, and Elon... Uh, like everyone else in the industry, is dealing with a chip shortage. And Elon needs to show growth. Remember, this is a car company wrapped in a stock promote. I mean, the primary objective of the, the thing that Tesla produces actually is stock certificates. So um, Elon, in his zeal to hit the numbers, which is his pattern, and if you read Tim Higgins' book, um, Power Play, that just came out, it's, it's very clear the pattern of behavior over and over and over again. Elon actually removed radar from many of the production vehicles right. and claim this was um, impeding their ability to solve full self-driving, which makes no sense. Right. And in reality, he removed a safety critical feature because they didn't have the chips, I believe. I think the proponents of the evidence would support that conclusion, and not the least of which is the strongly circumstantial evidence of decades of similar behavior when in similar situations. So he actually took a step back in the development of full self-driving in order to meet the production goals and then, you know, papered that over with some new uh, brand called Tesla Vision, when in reality, um, taking out the radar has put that project back, I suspect. And you, you could hear it if you listen between the lines in some of the more technical presentations on, at, at Autonomy Day. Look, they, they're never going to solve full self-driving with cameras only. It's just, it's just not possible. Um, they're going to continue to speak uh, in sort of very fancy sounding words. Tesla has a lot of money so they can hire a lot of smart people and they could give you the impression that they're making progress. Um, but it's kind of like saying I'm making progress on uh, a linear scale when you're trying to solve a logarithmic problem. And, and when you plot it logarithmically, they're, they're, they're stuck in a do loop. Um, 
So this is just the march of nines, as as it's called in the autonomy industry. And what you're also starting to see is the competitors in the space who have long been, I think, um, scandalously silent on Elon. And they've allowed this man to recklessly endanger the entire industry. Uh, they're starting now finally to say enough is enough and to put pressure on the government. I think you're seeing a lot of successful lobbying on the part of companies that have billions of dollars invested in safely developing autonomous driving technology. Uh, finally going to D.C. under the Biden administration, which early signs seems to indicate that they're a little more receptive to cracking down on some of the um, extreme behavior that Elon engages in, at least uh, in comparison to the laissez-faire attitude of, of President Trump. Yeah, it's interesting. I just got back from uh, San Francisco and they have Waymo cars all over the place driving around and, you know, all the shit attached to them, right? They have all the radar and the LIDAR and the sensors yeah. and the cameras and, you know, and those cars are, and, and they use some nice cars too. They have like Maseratis and Jaguars and shit driving around with like all those like sensors and stuff on them. But I just looked at them and I said to my friend when we were there, I'm like, this is what like moving towards full self-driving looks like. You know, like you need this shit. They're not just driving around with all that clunky shit on the car for, you know, no fucking reason, you know, for aesthetics because it looks good. You know, like that's the shit you need to actually do this safely. And the idea that you're just going to have a car that's just going to be able to do it without the, any of those other. And I don't know shit about radar or LIDAR or any of this stuff that you're talking about. And you can probably help us understand it a little bit better. But the fact that they're going to try to do that, just what? Just using cameras now? That's it? They're yeah. just they're just using cameras? I mean, it just doesn't seem like enough. And I don't know anything about AI. Yeah, well, you don't have to. You can just go and talk to, randomly select 100 uh, people in the industry, and 99 of them will tell you it's a joke. Um, they all know it's a joke. So they'll never say it on the record. And this is what frustrates me. You know, I, as a skeptic uh, on the name and, you know, thrown into this somewhat, involuntarily uh, over the years there's lots of stuff that you know reporters know that they can't ever publish because they don't have it 99 percent nailed down or their editors won't let them uh, there's lots of things that engineers in the autonomous uh you know the, the autonomy space know quote unquote but they, they would never say publicly because they don't want to you know this is, this is not corporate strategy to comment on competitors where it doesn't doesn't hinder elon so the things that hinder the rest of us from having an appropriate response to somebody like him, i.e. quality standards and reporting or, you know, corporate politeness, um, they don't hinder him. And so it's an unfair fight in a way. Like he's going at this in a way where everyone else has one of their hands tied behind their back and he's just swinging full throttle, um, making stuff up left and right. I mean, the, the Tesla bot, it to make a actually functional humanoid robot is a probably a much tougher challenge than solving autonomous driving, which even the people with all of the sensors you described and all of the progress they've made would tell you it's at least five to 10 years off at best. And much of the excitement in the autonomy space from two or three years ago um, has dissipated a bit as the cruelty and the difficulty of actually solving the problem in a safe manner, in a safe and responsible manner has made itself plain. But you said that you're not optimistic that, you know, the regulatory intervention is going to do anything. Well, you know, I've spent years watching the NHTSA not only do nothing. Yeah, nothing. But actively cover up for Elon. There's a huge scandal in the NHTSA that almost nobody's reported on. 
which is, you know, and I, I take the time to retell it here. In 2016, in May, uh, Joshua Brown decapitated himself on autopilot. He smashed into an 18-wheeler that was pulling out, uh, you know, perpendicular to his driving direction. The car slid under the uh, the trailer part of the of the 18-wheeler, and the car kept going for several hundred meters afterwards. He died instantly. Tragic death. That was the first quote-unquote known death in autopilot and it, but in fact that's it's not true there was another one in china a few months earlier it's a very similar circumstance t-boned a truck um and that that death uh was first covered up by elon long enough for him to pull off an, an equity capital raise that he sorely needed he didn't disclose that death and neither did goldman sachs who led the race um and goldman sachs coincidentally upgraded tesla the morning of the race um the nhtsa you know dutifully investigated that accident and not only did they largely exonerate tesla they falsely claimed that statistics they had showed that autopilot was 40 percent safer than a human driver Hmm. and elon jumped on that and used it at every opportunity for years Um, it was made for great cover the only problem is the data showed no such thing and it gets worse so skeptics of that data who were confounded by how the nhtsa could draw that conclusion tried to FOIA the data, and I think at one point even tried to sue to get the data, and the NHTSA resisted at every opportunity. And then finally, it came out, and when it came out, it was basically fabricated. Um, The data showed no such thing. There's been a couple of sort of reports in what I would say, you know, lower impact um, news websites. It's not like, you know, the Washington Post or the New York Times have, or the LA Times or the Wall Street Journal have dug into this in the way that I would like to see. But somebody in the NHTSA somewhere basically facilitated this narrative that autopilot was, quote unquote, 40 percent safer than a human driver. And that was just basically made up. And it's outrageous to me that the, the nation's premier safety enforcement agency in the transportation sector would do that. And I, I'd like to know why. I'm a taxpayer. Um, and so my position on the NHTSA is um, I'm deeply into the show me like I'm not going to just assume that this investigation means anything they have a history of quote unquote starting investigations when the heat is high just take this this um, case in Houston where two drivers uh, burned themselves up you know uh, a block and a half from their homes the the strong evidence early on was that nobody was in the driver's seat that has since been muddled a little bit the cops came out and clearly said there was nobody in the driver's seat this was all over the newspapers and magically you know the NHT quote came in to investigate and we haven't heard anything um, you know, I understand that government agencies move slow and these things take time, but there's 30 active investigations into autopilot. Why do we need a new one? So now we have a brand new one, which presumably is going to take a lot of time. Uh, I'm not, I'm not uh, optimistic. I'm hopeful, but uh, and others are way more optimistic than me in the, in the skeptical community. But I, I've seen, you know, so many times where you you would think that aha, this is when a government has to intervene and look i mean the only government on the planet that has successfully regulated tesla is china which is a sad state of affairs actually that the chinese communist party um is the only regulatory body on the planet with the courage to stand up to elon musk um it's it's really a remarkable situation and when this story is over because it has to end eventually um i think there's going to be if we do it correctly there should be a deep investigation into just how every single regulatory body in the U.S. was corrupted uh, because they've let him get away with things that you and I would be in jail for, starting right. with the 420 tweet. I mean, it's right. so 
you know, I'm hopeful on an HCSA. I well, get it. It's, it's funny but... to watch things like Trevor Milton get indicted. Yeah. You know, and then you look back and you're like, well, what's the deal? Like, is he just too big? Do they feel like he's too big? I mean, certainly, if you want to talk about know. another regulator, I mean, I think the FTC has yeah. an open and shut case for full self-driving being one of the largest cons ever. I mean, you want to talk about bait and switch. That's yeah. that's the definition of a bait and switch scam, right? Well, look, if if I think I've said this on your podcast, except before. there's no switch, there's just yeah. bait. <laughs> it's just bait. Um, well, the switch is nothing. Yeah, you, this is what you get. Nothing. Right. Um, actually, it's worse than that because it's it's bait and death. I mean, people have been conditioned through social media and influencers and Elon himself on sixty minutes with his hand not on the wheel, and the term it's. I mean, the the product is called full self driving. And they claim, well, it's capitalized, so it doesn't mean regular. It doesn't mean the, what the common definition of full self-driving yeah. does. I, it, so, you know, it, it's – I don't know what it's going to – it's billions of dollars. Like I've said before on your podcast, if I went down and um, stole money out of a liquor store, you know, um, and I, I stole over $1,000. Now, in, in every other, you know um, – county in the country except maybe san francisco i'd get arrested and go to jail for that. <laughs> yeah and, it's larceny yeah and and this guy's doing it on a billion dollar scale and i don't know if like it's it's like is he just flooding the field with it so that there's just everyone's overwhelmed and nobody can act well, I, people people don't know any better either you know they pe- yeah. people don't understand that these things I, I really i don't think people get it yet that they're not what he two, says that two senators get it i mean like there used to Ed be Markey, a, Ed Markey has been complaining about Musk for like a year or two now. Nobody's done anything. Yeah. So there used to be a time when a U.S. senator essentially saying your product is killing people and should be pulled from the market would have an impact on the stock. Right. <laughs> I mean, it just shows you where we are in the marketplace, um, that that letter was basically a nothing. It was a non-event. Um, so that, I guess the market has been conditioned correctly to believe that Elon will beat all regulators in the U.S. And, and, he has. and that he, you know, he's still just given this leeway that, you know, he's a guy that can make it happen. And while while we're talking, I have TweetDeck up on a window here and uh, 6 ABC, which is our local ABC affiliate here in Philly, just put out a tweet. With a story on the uh, humanoid robots, and there's the one on stage dancing away. And the quote says, uh, the, the lead, the tweet here linking to the story says, Musk said the humanoid workers could perform, quote, boring, repetitive and dangerous, quote, work at any of the company's production factories and could be available by next year. <laughs> you know, and you're just thinking like, this is really what the public thinks. The public really thinks they could be available next year. You know, well, six the ABC. They, they don't know. You know, they they, yeah. they they take Elon on his word, which I don't know why anybody fucking does anymore. But he's got the, this like je ne sais quoi to him that just like oh, people are just you know he's the guy that's gonna put us on Mars. It's like you don't fucking get it yet. You people don't get it yet. You know, can you imagine what Elizabeth Holmes is thinking looking at all this? Unreal, right? I mean, you know. And then people say, oh, well, you know, her lies were about people's health and yada, yada, yada. Well, full self-driving has resulted in deaths. I mean, um, there have been scandalously massive automotive recalls for far less than what we've seen with full self-driving. And by the way, if he is forced to issue refunds, um, that's a big, big chunk of cash. But most importantly, 
the entire edifice that supports the stock, you know, assuming that, you know, the shenanigans around gamma squeezes and call options don't explain all of it. A big chunk of it is this belief that somehow there's some innovation at Tesla. I've right. long argued there's no innovation at Tesla. Um, the only innovation at Tesla is they're willing to be more reckless with the speed and quality of the products they're willing to shove out onto the market. Um, a great example is yesterday, GM announced that it's recalling essentially all of the Chevy Bolts right. that it sold. And the Chevy Bolt is, is GM's electric vehicle. You know, small sort of boxy. I don't like the design. I think GM has a lot of problems with this EV strategy. Um, but nonetheless, they've had a few fires. And so they recalled all of them. And it's cost them a billion dollars. You'll never see Elon do that. The number of fires that you see for Model 3, Model Y, Model S, Model X. When was the last time we had a massive, you know, if Elon had to recall all of his vehicles, he couldn't afford to do it, doesn't have the service infrastructure to do it. You said, like, dealerships arose in the market for good reason and didn't need to be disrupted. Um, he doesn't have the service centers to recall and replace all the batteries, and he doesn't have the resources to do it. And so they just let these cars stay out. I mean, we see video of the car, you know, exploding in Shanghai last, last year or the year before. Um, every other day on Twitter, you see a picture of another Tesla vehicle fire. Um, they're not recalling their cars. And so the, the bar at the traditional automakers to recall is much, much, much lower than the bar that Elon has, which is basically infinitely high. He won't ever recall unless China orders him to do so. Um, and so when the automotive manufacturers, the traditional ones, act responsibly and do a full recall on a limited sort of problem, um, the Tesla stands point to that and say, oh, Elon's superior because they've not recalled their product. Well, no, Elon just refuses to recall his product. General Motors, which has a centuries-long corporate history they're interested in protecting, um, is willing to pay that billion dollars so that no other cars catch fire and that their customers know that they can rely on GM for a quality product. Yeah, I, you know, it, it's, it's stunning when you think about how many things would be different if they were done at GM. I mean, not just handling something like this recall like you're talking about, right? And Tesla also had its own recall issues that it, you know, kind of had to be dragged through. You know, it never re kind of willing... I don't, like, I can't remember the last time they willingly did, like, the right thing, you know? Where it's just like, oh, you know, this is for... You know, it's going to hit us in our pockets a little bit, but it's what's best for the consumer. It's what's best for our customer. I don't know if I can remember, like... Well, they, they do even more. They do one worse. They'll do tiny, irrelevant recalls so they can have in the headlines that Tesla's recalling their vehicles for some meaningless maybe, thing. I guess. And that, but that that's actually again another search engine optimization, so that it looks like Tesla's. Like I mean, you else have been you've been you've been saying this SEO thing for a yeah. while. I've been you know you write about it on Twitter, and you think that you know certain PRs come out at certain times to kind of muddy the waters when other things are out there. And, you know, I've tried to kind of follow it, but I haven't really been able to. I mean, yeah, you're just guessing though, right? You're just guessing based on your expertise in, in, in PR. You don't really have any evidence, it's, it's, right? It's that that's sort of, well, on. I mean, you have the consistency of it, I think is pretty strong circumstantial evidence. Um, there's plenty of times where, you know. Yeah, but I mean, uh, maybe I, they're just full of shit and promotion, uh, you know? This could be. Again, you know, this is get back to something we made earlier. Like Elon doesn't care about, you know, being absolutely certain before he says or does anything. Um, but the rest of us are held to a much higher standard because we're common and decent people. Um, and so I would argue that 
you know, there's a very, very strong pattern. Let me let me say it more specifically. If you operate under the assumption that most of what they're doing is search engine optimization, either, you know, for positive or to um, get ahead of a negative story, um, it is a theory that it explains successfully an awful lot of it. Uh, it's like the Higgs boson. You know, it's, the, you know, you, you, you kind of know it's there because if you plug it into the rest of everything else, it just makes sense. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. And there's been several times on Twitter where some story will come out and I'll say, ah, a senior executive must be leaving in the next week. And then boom, you know, somebody large, it turns out they've gone. So the last one was um, Jerome. I, I believe I called that a few others on Twitter called it and maybe I amplified it. You know, you forget how Twitter was a very dynamic place, but it's, it's become pretty predictable. Like I argue, I will argue forcefully that that humanoid bot was a giant distraction. Um, you know, he knew for example, just calling and having AI day magically coincidentally happens the same week that the NHTSA announces their investigation, it's probably pretty likely that they gave some heads up to Tesla that this was coming and gave them a chance to respond. Um, so I'd be curious, I bet you, you know, historically in some lawsuit, if you could, you know, get the records via discovery, we'll find that the day Elon tweeted Tesla holding AI day, you know, August 19th, might have been pretty close to around the time that the NHTSA informed them that they would likely announce that they're opening a formal investigation at autopilot and full self-driving. I've just a hunch. Um, I don't know. I, I've seen it enough times. You know, you watch somebody for enough years, you get a pretty good sense of the pattern. Um, they are promotional. There's no question about it. But part of being promotional is proactively being promotional to blunt and deflect from negative news. And all of these reporters, because, again, reporters have standards, they contact Tesla and often give them a heads up that a story is coming out in the hopes that they'll respond and they could put an on record response in their story for completeness. And so, you know, Tesla knows what's coming oftentimes. And so behavior that seems random and odd and outrageous, but dominates the headlines often coincides with getting ahead of a very negative news story. It's such a common technique in PR. I think it's used to the extreme here that I, I don't see any reason to doubt it. And as I said, as an operating theory, if you want to be able to predict what's happening, it's a pretty good one. So let's talk about the Solar City trial because uh, unless there's anything else on AI day nah. that you need to cover, did they do anything else of substance that's worth noting? I just would reiterate that most of the pre the technical presentations were effectively admissions uh, that they were nowhere near full autonomy for the past few years, and all of the sort of progress they showed um, is springboarding off of essentially an admission of of the inferiority of their product uh, up to this point. So that, that that's a in a way that's a pretty damning event because as you say it's been five years that he's been charging people for a product that still doesn't exist and looks yeah. to be an incredibly long way off and so that's a point that I, I wanted to make sure that we amplify but yeah solar city absolutely happy to pivot to that it's a really important case and as you know i think if you follow my twitter account i've read all three thousand pages of the testimony. yeah the i did trials. see that and this is kind of how you got started this was your bread and butter because you were you know you knew about solar panels and you knew when he did the solar roof presentation that he was full of shit and this is like, you know, we've had we've done podcasts on this. So you can go back and mm -hmm. listen to former podcasts that me and you have done where you explain how you knew that these solar roof tiles were bullshit just from that presentation and why that motivated you to look into Tesla. Um, but let's take a let's take a uh, kind of slow stroll sure. here through 
what the hell just happened in Delaware with this lawsuit, what it alleged, and how it played out. Absolutely. So this is a bit confusing, and as we say, I've, we've said before on the other podcast where we've described various Solar City lawsuits, I'm not an attorney, um, and Montana Skeptic could do a better job of explaining it than I can, but... I'm, al- I'm also not an attorney. I think it goes without exactly. saying. But you know, <laughs> Mary 21 Jump Street, he's like, you do have the right to be an attorney if you want. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think you've... I, th- I think you violate the uh, the maximum tattoo policy of the bar. Yeah, uh, although my buddy Andrew Welbrock's a DA in Philly. He's covered in tattoos. I and just, he w- yeah. walks around with his, like, you know, nice suit and, like, you know, nerdcore glasses during the day. He looks like unassuming. <laughs> and then he's, like, thrashing a bass guitar at night. Anyway, sorry. Nice. Go ahead. Sure, no problem. Um, so what's going on in Delaware is what's known as a derivative lawsuit. So shareholders of Tesla are suing Elon – and they had previously sued all of the board of directors at the time of the merger. They're suing Elon and the board on behalf of Tesla, which is something that confuses some people. So if they win, for example, and Elon has to write a big check, that check goes from Elon to Tesla. So in a way, this is Tesla suing Elon, even though the people at Tesla um, don't agree with it. <laughs> right. But this is a very important trial um, for several reasons. So at issue in the trial is, was Elon a controlling shareholder and did he unduly influence the board and other shareholders as the consideration of the Solar City merger was being adjudicated? Uh, I think the evidence is extraordinarily compelling on both counts, but again, I'm not an attorney and I'm heavily biased, but I did read everything. All of it. Thanks to Aaron Greenspan of Plainsight for getting 10 volumes of testimony from start to finish. Uh, it is really a fascinating thing to read an entire trial from start to finish. I'm sure it's different than being there and hearing tone and um, you know body language and, and whatnot. But it was still a really fascinating thing to read the whole thing. So Tesla's shareholders are suing Elon now. The, the rest of the board members, by the way, settled already for a $60 million check, uh, which was coincidentally the maximum payout from the um, the board's uh, indemnification insurance you know when you're a board member often you get deal uh, um, I forget what the phrase is Dino now, insurance but, yeah Dino insurance that's right thank you um, Saturday morning sometimes your brain freezes so 60 million dollars a big check by the way that actually helped Tesla make a quarter because <laughs> they got the you know they they got the 60 million dollar cash injection um, but the real danger for Elon is twofold one it's it's not uncommon for directors or executives who lose um, who lose derivative lawsuits to potentially face criminal charges. I mean, at its core, it's pretty hard to lose a derivative lawsuit without having committed some provable fraud. Now, do I think that's actually going to happen in this case? No, because if so, if a prosecutor wanted to go after Elon Musk, they would have done long ago. And as Jim Chano says, stock price is the prosecutor end of the fence, and at you know, $3,300 a share pre-split, uh, ain't nobody going after Elon Musk yet. Um, so until the stock price normalizes, that's not going to be a danger for him. But more likely, and I think more concerning to Elon, although I suppose, you know, a prosecutor getting aggressive would be very concerning to Elon, uh, there's a, a mountain of civil um, class action lawsuits that are on hold pending the outcome of this trial where other investors are suing, you know, Elon personally, and this is not on behalf of Tesla. And if we're 
Elon loses, you know, he writes a check to those investors, to that class. Um, I think that's a very dangerous situation for him, which is why he refused to settle, which I think was a silly decision because in refusing to settle, even if the case isn't adjudicated and they settle now, which I think is what's going to happen, um, all the evidence that has been developed in this case is right there and, and publicly available for the um, the the attorneys, you know, the ambulance chasers that are going after Elon now. Um, so if he loses in Delaware, Delaware's pretty high bar is considered the most sophisticated commercial court in the world, really. Uh, that's kind of a copy-paste outcome for all these other trials. Now, if Elon wins, it doesn't mean the other trials won't be successful, but it makes them a lot harder, as you can imagine. So um, in the trial in Delaware, what we saw was Elon trying to retroactively explain why the Solar City deal made perfect sense oh, and that so he had good. fully it's fully so recused good. himself and uh, and so on. And I think did a pretty poor job of it. Oh, I would say his lawyers were quite good and very capable. And when you're a senti billionaire, it's no surprise that you can find very clever people to rewrite history in ways that give you just enough doubt. So it could be that he wins. I, 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 I'm doubtful now having read it all, but I do think what's going to happen is he's probably going to settle and write a $200 million check, and, and that way at least he doesn't have the the stain of a formal judgment in a derivative lawsuit against him. But it was a pretty amazing trial. I'm happy to dive into some of the highlights, uh, anything specific that you'd be interested in. Yeah, dive into the highlights because I didn't sit around reading all 3,000 pages because I know he was full of shit, so I didn't need a trial to tell me that. You and know, you knew you, I was going to You do don't it. go out and acquire a fucking insolvent company with no financials, you know, sure. that's run by your cousin because it's a great must-have opportunity. You know, if you need the assets or whatever they have, you buy them out of bankruptcy. You don't fucking go out and, you know, pay a premium. It's just, it's just so stupid. It's just so fucking dumb. And it's so yeah. obvious what he did. And you don't even need to be some like deep stock market genius. You just need to have like basic econ 101 analysis. And some of the things that I did read, you know, some of the experts saying, oh, yeah, you know, they, they were insolvent at that point, you know, or, or that, you know, Solar City essentially had, had frozen up in terms of, you know, they had very little runway left. So I didn't need a 3,000 page, uh, sure. you know, uh, transcript to tell me that he was full of shit and bailed out his cousin and bailed out himself um but and bailed out spacex right and bailed out spacex um but since you did read it tell yeah. tell us what we missed okay. in the details what was some of so the good get, stuff i'm gonna split it into sort of maybe three parts for you so first what do i think actually happened God, what, an second, what an exceptional fucking liar this guy is i'm sorry i hate yeah. to like i hate to just <laughs> rant for no reason in the middle of your thought but i'm just thinking about it like the lies are just yeah. insane, full self-driving, humanoid robots, you know, pig brain links at Neuralink and fucking, I mean, it's just, oh my so, God, just stop. And the blog posts that are coming out now, I, I'm not trying to go off on a tangent here, but I just noticed like the blog posts coming out after this AI thing are like people writing blogs that are like, Elon Musk has no idea what he's talking about. You know, my analysis. Right, exactly. Over and over and over again. Yet, I still think it'll do nothing. Okay, tell us about okay. the Solar City trial. Sorry. All right. So, what really happened in my mind? Part two of what I'll describe is Elon's defense. Okay. Um, and then maybe at the end we'll go through some of the more humorous highlights, like Kimball Musk's testimony and and oh, Robin Denholm's testimony, because there was some, I would say, jaw dropping moments in their testimony. Not maybe super relevant to the outcome, although maybe they will be. But let's start with what happened. You have to think of Solar City not as a 
green energy company. Solar City was a financing company right. wrapped in a stock promote. And it was a fine they didn't make solar panels, they didn't make connectors. They facilitated the financing and installation of solar panels on people's roofs. And in return, they got two things. So they put the money up front and in return they got a tax break, which would normally go to you as the consumer if you had bought the solar installation with cash, but Solar City was a leasing company. You got that tax credit, which you can then flip to investors who had taxable gains that they wanted to offset in what's known as variable interest entities. But also they got a 20-year cash flow of uh, you know future payments from people that are paying Solar City instead of paying their power company. These are called power purchase agreements. Now the problem with Solar City was twofold, uh, well threefold. One, they were lending money at rates far below which they could fund themselves with. So John Hempton, who's a famous sort of skeptical hedge fund manager out of Australia, a brilliant, brilliant guy, uh. said in a podcast once a line that has stuck with me forever, which is, be wary of fast-growing finance companies because fast-growing finance companies are giving away great terms and it eventually catches up to all of them. Um, and so Solar City was lending money effectively at rates that were below the rate they had to pay to fund those loans. And so they were losing money sort of out of the start. And that's before any of the other problems of quick and dirty installs like we talked about on the Walmart stuff on a podcast years ago. Um, so one, they were a finance company, but the real problem was they were wrapped in a stock promote. And so Elon and his brother and their cousins in the classic Tesla way had promised the world. And so they were under extreme pressure to show growth. But when you are paying the cash up front to grow, that requires a lot of cash. It requires access to the capital markets. And so when you look at the solar megawatts installed chart that I famously published many, many times, and it collapsed right after the merger, it collapsed right after the merger because creating new installs is a cash drain. It, it, and it takes 20 years to get that cash back. So that's problem number two. Problem number three is um, because of that pressure to grow, they were just throwing money out the door. Um, they had... Um, you know, a real issue in securitizing those solar power purchase agreements because the market for it had not yet been developed in 2016. Now, the ability to monetize the tax credits was easy. Everybody understood that. They could do that. But that was actually a pretty small part. So let's imagine it costs $30,000 to get the solar panels installed on your roof, which generates a $7,500 tax credit. They could monetize, let's say, $7,300 of that $7,500 immediately uh, but they couldn't monetize the $30,000 worth of future payments that you had promised them over the next 20 years. Uh, that market had not yet developed. And in fact, to Solar City's credit, they were the first to pull off such a deal in the spring of 2016. Uh, but the market for Solar City stock tanked on the news because of the interest rates they had to give up in order to get that um, securitization into the market. It was a deal with John Hancock, which is a, uh, a detail that doesn't matter. At its core, they were lending for below what it cost to fund. Um, they were under extreme pressure to grow. Uh, and the market to um, recycle that money back in so they can fund their future growth wasn't developed. And then fourth, on top of that, because Elon put extreme pressure on them, they were simultaneously trying to back integrate into making solar panels with the whole Buffalo, Salivo, um, the Salivo acquisition and the Buffalo billion scandal, for which people have gone to jail, by the way. Um, and so when you wrap all that up, 
um, one of the things that you have to be extraordinarily prudent about when you're a financing company is your reputation in the financial markets. And people stopped lending to SolarCity, and that caused the liquidity crisis. They couldn't fund their growth to keep the stock price up, which was the real driver here. Um, Elon and Kimball and their cousins, there's testimonial evidence and other evidence in the trial that they had pledged significant amounts of their stock as collateral for loans. And when the market sniffed out that, you know, this was a company heading towards a liquidity crisis, which is always the precursor to a solvency crisis, um, they, the stock started to tank and Elon and well, Kimball for sure was facing margin calls. And in fact, Kimball Musk was a very large shareholder of SolarCity and a Tesla board member who did not recuse himself from the consideration of the merger. Um, he had pledged 100% of his shares as collateral for a loan yeah. and was facing margin calls the, the week of the first board so he could Elon. So he could open up an organic food market or whatever he was doing. Well, By the way, he, I just, I just want to say, too, I don't want to interrupt your train of thought, but this yeah. is also before we found out about gamma squeezes, right? So like oh, the, is, that was the solution to goosing the stock price that wow. you know somehow made its way out here over the last eighteen months, twenty four months with the Nasdaq and with Tesla, whatever. But th- this was before that. So like when yeah. you know if, if the stock price was falling, it was just falling. Nobody figured out you could go in and buy a shitload of out of money the call options, uh, you know, to to move the stock up yet at this point. Exactly. And so facing margin calls. Um, and by the way. We'll skip to the, the part where I, I give you a, a humorous anecdote from the testimony. Kimball Mosk, who's Elon's brother oh. and a major shareholder in in Solar City, um, was facing margin calls on his Solar City stock. And under oath during testimony, when asked by the plaintiff's attorney whether he disclosed this highly important fact that his personal finances were under severe stress because of the waning stock price of an acquisition target that he was adjudicating on. Um, his response to that was, no, I did not disclose it. And when asked why, his answer was, it was none of their business. There you go. Yep. There you go. I could imagine the Kimball. judge's face. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, and as, as somebody who has worked on M&A, I think we talked about this in the past, you know, this is typically so much more carefully curated by attorneys and there's, you know, um, I, I'm often over the wall on deals today in my line of business and you you sign away your life. You're not going to trade the stock. You disclose everything, you know, that the, 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 the SEC just charged, you know, Domino's pizza account for insider trading on, uh, uh, on, on quarterly earnings report and a guy made $32,000. They're watching it at that level, but this guy doesn't disclose to his board that he's sitting on a margin call for a company that they're about to acquire. And it's his brother. It was none of their way. business. Yeah. None of their I business. Love it. so. it's a, I always think of Seinfeld. He's, <laughs> he's a mimbo. He's a male, he's a male bimbo. Kimball. Yeah. Kimball is yeah. just, I mean, so, oh, so that's sorry. what happened. Go ahead. That's what happened. But you, here's the proof, by the way, that it was really about personal loans and not even really about the solvency of solar city. Um, Elon surprised the board on February 29th, 2016 with the proposal to take, over Solar City, um, and this was even too much of a stretch for the otherwise quite malleable Tesla board to consider at right. that time. So they they kind of were like, "Well, let's slow your roll. Uh, we're not doing this now, but go ahead and get some more data, get some more details. But let's figure out the Model X production issues we're having before we go ahead and bite off this apple." The very next day, in the mother of all coincidences, that just happened to relieve the pressure on Kimball's and Tesla and Elon's 
margin calls. Uh, the story of Tesla being interested in buying SolarCity leaked March 1st. And I think that put a put under the price of SolarCity because the market became aware that essentially if push comes to shove, Elon's going to bail this thing out with Tesla stock. Um, and so that allowed SolarCity to sort of motor along throughout the year 2016 um, and they ultimately made it to when the deal closed. So that's actually what I think happened. This was a, it was, it was insolvent. Um, they couldn't fund themselves. Uh, they had capital needs to fund the back integration objective uh, and to go from just a financing company to a true solar company. Cash was going out the door. They couldn't borrow money at a rate um, below which it made sense for them to lend it because if right. they changed their rates, they would lose their growth. Um, and there's all kinds of circumstantial evidence in the court, you know, like they insisted on rushing out the announcement of Tesla's formal bid to buy SolarCity ahead of SolarCity admitting to very disappointing Q2 results in 2016, which would have caused the stock to crater. Um, so it is all basically, like we said earlier, you know, they're, they're in the stock business and this was a stock management operation. So what's Tesla's defense? What's Elon's defense in all this? Um, Elon's defense had four pillars. Pillar one is this was always the plan, and the merger was only and always about uh, the combination, the need for the combination of batteries and solar to be under one roof. Um, the second was the reason why Solar City was having liquidity problems was because of Tesla's offer, which is sort of very perverted. But this is classic gaslighting. Uh, take your biggest weakness and then, you know, do a 180 on it and present it to the court as an operating theory. So the theory goes there um, that because there was this potential offer to acquire Solar City, which Solar City, for some undefined reason, didn't want to disclose to the market, even though it had leaked, they couldn't raise equity because um, you know they had this offer hanging over them. The third defense was Elon had nothing to do with it, and Robin Denholm, who is now chair of the board of Tesla after Elon wasn't allowed to be after the 420 funding secured securities fraud, uh, that Robin Denholm led everything. Um, and then the fourth and most powerful argument in Elon's defense was stock price, bro. Um, how can you claim that anything bad happened because of this deal? The stock is up 20 times from the lows um, since then. Um, the only legitimate argument um, that I can see is stock price, bro. The other three fail very basic plausibility tests. I'll knock the three of them out quickly. Um, the first argument was, you know, that this was the plan all along and that you have to have solar and, and batteries together to make it right. Well, it's only this April, four and a half years after this whole event, that Elon randomly tweeted, you can only buy solar if you buy a Powerwall with it. And this is so clearly a retroactive sort of search engine optimization for the court to say, look, this was always our plan and we just announced it in 2021. You know, it's just sort of a classic Elon. I, I put out the sequence of events in a thread. Um, there's plenty of battery providers that will sell you up the equivalent of a power wall, regardless of the solar panel setup that you have. These are much basically commodity products. There's very little synergistic overlap between them, but it makes for a good story in court. Um, and they made a big deal in court about showing the judge that you literally couldn't buy solar today on Tesla's website without also buying a power wall, except this change only happened in April. So, you know, that's sort of a classic right. approach. The second argument was Tesla's offer is what caused Solar City to be unable to access the equity markets. 
Um, there's only two problems with that. First, they didn't <laughs> want to disclose allegedly this deal offer, but they did. They filed a 10Q in the middle of it and didn't disclose it there. So how material could it have been? Because either that filing then was uh, a serious error because they didn't disclose something material in the 10Q, or in reality it wasn't that big a deal. The market already knew and. Um, you know, it, it certainly wasn't prohibiting them from tapping the capital markets. But more embarrassing, I think, to that argument was Elon and Tesla raised in May. We referred to this raise earlier, weeks after Joshua Brown decapitated himself in Florida. Elon raised in May, and they didn't disclose the ongoing merger discussions um, before they did that raise. So clearly the market wouldn't have cared and probably would have helped the price they could have got if they had disclosed that. The third argument was Robin Denholm led everything. Here, there's two problems with that argument, one of which is just laughable on its face. You would imagine that a multi-billion dollar M&A project, um, one that is as conflicted as this, like, I mean, there was conflicts all over the place. And to be fair, Robin Denholm was the least conflicted board member by a mile. Of all the other board members were terribly conflicted, but only Elon and Antonio Gracias formally recused themselves. Um, there is no mention in any of the Tesla board minutes that she was given this role formally. It doesn't exist. You would think that they would set up a special committee. Right, of course. Or, yep. or that they would have at least put in the record that because of everybody else's conflicts, Robin Denholm will be the point person for Tesla. That wasn't in the minutes. The other problem, there's actually three problems. The second problem with this line is that she, it's, there's no polite way to say it, um, she beclowned herself on the stand. I mean, it was pathetic. Uh, the cross-examination was brutal, difficult to read, cringeworthy at some points, to the point where, you know, and one of the interesting features in Delaware trials is the judge gets to ask questions whenever he or she wants. And this judge asked a lot of questions to many of the witnesses. And his questioning of Robin Denholm was um, sad, is the word that I would use. It's very clear that she uh, had no idea what she was talking about. Oh. And uh, if if she was the person who was the, the lead on this, that she was somebody who could be easily fooled. Um, but they did none of the proper protocols effectively that I would have expected to see. And I presume the, the judge in Delaware has obviously more experience than me in this, but it, it just seemed very obvious to me based on the judge's questions after her debilitating cross-examination by the plaintiffs that uh, he wasn't too impressed. But the third problem is there's ample evidence that Elon controlled everything. Um, right. He was he was the least recused, recused board member in the history of recused board members. Um, he came up with the idea. He pushed it several times. He attended every board meeting. He had daily calls with the bankers to push things along. Uh, he personally, it seems at least pretty evident from the trial records, forced Evercore to go faster. Evercore was the banker that Tesla hired to give Tesla's board advice. Evercore initially thought that this, well, we need to slow our roll here. There's a lot of questions. Solar City's in a liquidity crisis. It's going to take a long time for our approval committee to get this through at Evercore. And magically, after a late night call with Elon, the next day, this banker from Evercore is emailing her team that they need to get all this done by Monday. Um, Elon was taking daily calls with them. He was having discussions with the CEO of Solar City that didn't involve Tesla board, that he didn't disclose to the Tesla board. He wrote the master plan part two in the middle of um, board negotiations where he basically said this deal has to happen. Now imagine if you're, right. you know, a, a Tesla board member reading that in the paper, and now you're, you know, you're, you're controlling shareholder and CEO and 
and nanomanager. Uh, Elon has a you know a reputation for being a micromanager to the extreme. You're reading him basically tell you in the press that you have to do this deal, and then he faked the solar roof product reveal to get skeptical investors over the line. So other than all of those things, um, Elon recused himself. Right. Other than those. <laughs> other than all those things, yeah. Um, and so that's sort of dispatching with the defense. But the real joy in reading this was some of the highlights from the testimony and you know I've, I've knocked a couple of them off but let's just pick on Kimball a little bit um and as i say these things remember as you're listening um he's the billionaire not you um so Kimball musk admitted under oath that he doesn't know what enterprise value means right well that doesn't surprise me does it surprise uh, you uh it actually it did you would think you know enterprise value really is, well, he's a, does it he's really a, surprise you? He's he's a board member. He's a billionaire. So he's what? A board there's fucking idiot yeah. board members on public company boards all okay. over the capital markets. I mean, okay. there's people that just. Have you ever seen some of these people that can get involved with public companies? And then you know, I'm sorry, but you don't need to be a FBI profiler to understand what kind of guy Kimball Musk is. I mean, you just show me a couple of pictures, a couple of headlines about you know. What he's up to in the plant a tree initiative. Hi, Stuart. I'm happy to talk about the plant a tree initiative. It's like, oh my God. You got to think I'm going to be surprised that guy doesn't know what an enterprise value is? And so it gets better. The deal um, was an all stock deal. And in all stock deals, the only number that really matters is the exchange ratio. Right. How many shares of my stock are you going to take for right. all the shares of your stock? Uh, under oath, uh, Kimmel Musk did not know what an stock exchange ratio was. Mm -hmm. So he voted on this deal. Perfect. Perfect. And he literally said, I don't know what stock ratio, a stock exchange ratio is, but it gets even better. Um, again, billionaire board member, publicly traded company. Um, Kimmel Musk does not know what a fairness opinion is. Perfect. Admitted to this under oath. I mean, you're reading this, um, and then you combine it with the fact that he thinks it's none of the board's business that he is probably getting an email from his well, banker sitting in the room facing a margin call while he's adjudicating on this deal. You know, uh, this is the same board that let Elon Musk call Vern Unsworth a pedo and mm -hmm. didn't sanction him. You know, when I did I did a thing with Hedgeye a couple of years ago, poor Jay Van Shriver invited me on Hedgeye where I just screamed for an hour one day because I was so pissed about it. And, of course, never got invited back, as it does happen with events that I get invited to. But uh, the point was, what I was pissed about that day was that anybody else's board at any other company would have held the CEO accountable. And then, you know, if you hold him accountable for calling the one guy a pedophile, then you don't have to deal with him faking a buyout or vice versa. Whichever one came first and which one came second. You know, so is it a surprise to me that the board of directors not only is not roping in Elon Musk, but doesn't seem to have the first idea about running a public company? No. I mean, it's they're literally incompetent. They are they have no idea what they're doing. None. Zero. I mean, maybe Ellison does, right? He's still on the board. He's a you know, somewhat sharp dude. But you know, yeah. a guy like Kimball Musk isn't fucking Mr. Mover and Shaker in there making the decisions that are gonna, you know. Uh, you know, it's like, hey, here you go. You can have a seat on the board because you're my brother. And, you know, you wear a cowboy hat and I feel bad for you about that because I've tried to get you to stop and you haven't. And uh, and here you go. So you take some board compensation and, you know, but I mean, these, these people aren't. It's just it's a fucking circus, dude. It's yeah. a circus. Sorry to interrupt you. Keep going. No, no at all. Not at all. It's it. Uh, I agree. There are some actually 
shrewd people on the Tesla board, and, and not all of their testimony was at the level of Kimball Musk or Robbins. Okay. Um, but those well, that's people encouraging. Are, well, actually, in a way, it's kind of worse because what's their excuse? Right. Um, so, that. you know, um, it's it, like Antonio Gracias is not – is no dummy. I mean, he, but he, his testimony was not included in the 10 volumes I read because it was just taken this week. And now that the case is done, um, the other big point that comes through here and where I think Elon could have gotten trouble with his testimony is, um, the denial that, you know, any of this was motivated by SpaceX. And we've talked about this before, but let me remind the audience, one of the big drivers here, one of the big panics for team Elon was during solar city's desperate need for cash, um, SpaceX was sort of strong-armed by tests by Elon into lending um, at least 165 million dollars to Solar City in the form of buying their bonds at pretty low interest rate. Um, so if Solar City had gone kaput, it would have taken SpaceX with it. Um, Elon and Kimball and everyone else was pledged on their SpaceX stock too, I believe. I think the evidence will show that. Um, and so that you could see the whole sort of pyramid come collapsing if if Solar City was allowed to fail. So you have, by the way, it was against SpaceX's policy to buy corporate debt with their excess cash. Um, so Elon circulated and had the board approve um, that SpaceX's money could be used to buy Solar City bonds. And in court, Elon testified that this was a great deal for SpaceX because they were getting a higher yield. Than zero percent on their cash, uh, and this was not a gift to Solar City in any way, shape, or form, which is a totally transparently false, very deceptive testimony. The type of testimony that would get you and I in trouble um, if you know we weren't backed by centi billion dollars worth of high-priced lawyers. Um, this SpaceX connection, which is it's reported, but I would say it's underreported in the consequence sure. and and the motivating factors behind much of the behavior here. And then on top of that, shortly after um, SpaceX lent the, all the money they could to Solar City in order to get them over the line, Elon personally lent another 65 and his cousins, 35 between them, I think is the numbers, something like that, um, to get them over the line. And all of those things were immediately paid off as soon as the deal closed by Tesla. And so this was a pretty desperate situation. The deal had to get done. Uh, Elon totally interfered with it. And in court, again, Elon testified, I think very deceptively, that he got no financial gain from this transaction because he owned roughly the same amount of equity in both companies, and it was a stock deal. No mention of the personal amount of money he had put into the bonds or the fact that SpaceX was on the hook for a big chunk of debt that would have been wiped out. By the way, it was at the bottom of their cap table. It was totally unsecured. It was bankruptcy remote away from you know the vies and the, and the cash flows that they had sold and so there's i think very little question that the, the recovery of those spacex bonds would have been minimal in a properly run bankruptcy proceeding that would have taken spacex with it just not being able to access that cash until the bankruptcy proceedings were uh fully adjudicated would have been the death of spacex um and just the recklessness of having done that would have been i think a huge reputational yeah. hit to Elon and almost so any other swirl. almost any other outcome than what ha than what happened right would would have been yeah the end of space uh and, the end of uh SpaceX and Solar City right and that, that would have been the end of Elon um, because by the way he's also pledged to the tilt on Tesla and might have hit a margin call on that which would have destroyed the stock and as Jim Cherino says and I agree stock is the ultimate prosecutor and the ultimate defense attorney and so um, he was desperate. Look, he did it, pulled it off. Here we are five years later, and he could just write a big check tomorrow to get out away from it, a, a big check he could easily afford. He's reached escape velocity. 
with all of this if he's if he's got the discipline and the smarts to use it he is a very stubborn guy and a narcissistic guy and gets himself in trouble for those reasons so if he allows this to go to a full judge verdict and he loses you know could it could get very ugly for him um if he were smart um he would write a 200 million dollar check to tesla today and and just you know make his problems go away and go on twitter and say say it was worth it because it was worth it he's a centi-billionaire yeah it's stunning so what do you think the outcome is going to be I think he settles. I, I, having read the 3,000, the judge basically sort of implied very strongly that they should consider settling at the end of the 3,000, you know, on page 3,000. He closes the the record for the for that portion of the trial, the in-person portion of the trial, by saying, you know, the best outcome, the most perfect outcome is one both sides choose to engage in. Um, and, and apparently the judge had a lot of experience as, as a moderator so I, it, maybe he says that at the end of every trial, but he made a, a clear point to say it at the end of this one. Um, I I get the sense that the judge knows that he can't rule for Elon, but doesn't want to rule against him. Yeah. And so I think it settles. Um, I'd be shocked if it goes to verdict, and I'd be even more shocked if Elon loses because he has this weird way of winning everything, right. um, even when he has no business winning it. Until one day we wake up and he doesn't win. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what that, it's going to be. I don't know that what, could the, be this what case. the straw is going to be. Know. You know that breaks the camel's back. Yeah, but even that, even if he loses this, it's not going to be of huge consequence. Oh, uh, I think I think it could be the ball that rolls downhill. I mean, really? It, it, again, if 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 you lose a derivative case that all your other board members have settled in Delaware, it's kind of hard to do that without having committed fraud. And now you have, you know, the most respectful court in the world basically going on record saying you committed fraud in this deal. This deal was fraudulently done. Now, again, I'm not an attorney. I'm certainly not a prosecutor. But you can look up people being charged after losing derivative lawsuits. It happens. I don't know that it happens all the time or even a majority of the time, but it can happen. But more importantly, you have this wave of other lawsuits. And you know trial attorneys. I mean, I call them ambulance chasers earlier. Just because they're suing Elon doesn't mean I think they're great people. Um that there's going to be an endless wave of, of litigation. Look, people lost billions of dollars on 420 funding secured. People lost a lot of money that were short solar city. Um, if this was all done, you know, incorrectly <clears throat> and a judge finds that in Delaware, there's, there's huge personal liability. There's right. a reputational damage. Look, he's a, he's all, all schemes like this are ultimately confidence schemes. And the world right now is pricing. Elon is indestructible. And if he gets a chink, um, like this, it could be the thing, and uh, you know, we'll see. I mean, uh, when you mix it in with having to eventually admit that full self-driving was a fraud, and you mix it in with having to finally come to terms with sudden unintended acceleration issues, or another fact, which you know we haven't gotten into, but all of the the product pipeline was promised on the development of battery technology that doesn't exist, and right. so you know the. If you just look, the Tesla Semi, the Tesla Cybertruck, the Model S played, and um, you know uh, the Tesla Roadster Two, uh, all of those products have invented specs that can't be achieved with existing battery technology. And when Elon proclaimed them to the world, um, part of the bait and switch was, well, we'll just invent the batteries ourselves. They can't. Um, batteries evolve very slowly. Um, the, the progress on battery technology is slow and consistent, and that's because everyone cares about safety. Um, none of these products can exist until 
substantial breakthroughs in battery technology occur, and I don't think they're on the horizon, and that's why you're not really hearing about the Tesla Semi going into production or the Cybertruck going into production. The Plaid was produced for a couple of weeks, and then some guy in Philly had his car burn up on him. Yeah, um, that was and, in Winwood too. It's a, that that, was an expensive area where that car And that's because car. all that car was was a stretched-up Model S using the same battery technology where they probably loosened the, uh, the, the safety uh, – barricades on the battery and of course the, they've now pulled all those and you never hear about tesla model s played even though they had a, a reveal day two or three months ago um so i think there's a yeah that, that, said, that's funny right that was like a big yeah. thing a couple months ago yeah, the model gone. s plaid was like oh that was the big to do and now it's like all right yes. well now now memory that? hold yeah it's down the memory hole yeah we're, so, doing, we're doing humanoid robots now Right. So to circle back to everything that we talked about at the beginning, I do believe the robot was a search engine optimization exercise because the walls are closing in. You got Solar City coming to a head, full self-driving coming to a head. The entire product pipeline is constipated by the lack of a battery breakthrough, which he can't achieve. Um, you know, there's demand saturation in China. They're exporting all their cars to Europe now from Shanghai. All of the cars being sold in Europe are being exported from Shanghai. Tesla doesn't have the demand in China to fill one factory. How, how can they be worth $700 billion? So, you know, to sort of end where we began, uh, I think the walls are closing in. I think this is a very dangerous time. Um, as long as the stock price is high, he's probably not in jeopardy. But the moment that goes... Um, yeah, all bets are off. Well, and then, you know, look, the full self-driving thing is really the most egregious thing. I think that that is the most digestible for people to understand. Uh, I think it's going to be the easiest for people to wrap their heads around. Um, and I think that, you know, if a regulator comes out and says this thing doesn't work, um, you know, that that could be the snowball kind of being pushed down the hill there a little bit as well. Because when you just talk about the size of, uh, you know, the deception when it comes to full self-driving, I mean, even putting aside the fact that it may be putting lives at risk, just the size of the deception in terms of the product's capabilities and what people have been paying for and for how long, because it's been, you know, he says something new about it, every, you know, twice a year, every year for the last five years, he said, and it's still not here and it's not even close. So at, at some point, you know, that becomes an impasse for him, right? It's just where well, it's, and it's, when, and how does he concede? It's worse than that. Um, it's not just like, they're on the hook for the refund of what full self-driving costs. You could make a credible claim, and I actually think it's true. Many people are buying these cars under the assumption they're buying the future of technology. And right. And so you could get refunded for the entire purchase price of the car. Um, you know, if, if, if you're the only one selling full self-driving, and I'm paying you $10,000 for it, that's a substantial cost of the vehicle. Right. Um, I, I could credibly make the argument that I wouldn't have bought that car if full self-driving didn't exist. And so I think he's on the hook for the full refund on all the cars that have, quote unquote, full self-driving capital letters on it, because it's never going to exist. There are people that have leased Tesla cars and gone through the entirety of their lease having paid for full self-driving and never right. once used. Like, right. it's, it's, it's amazing. It but is. But this goes back to, like, you and I couldn't do that. We couldn't say, I, imagine you and I go buy generic cough syrup and we call our cough syrup full cancer cure. Right. Capital letters, yeah. you know, trademark, FCC. read the fine print, yep. full cancer cure. If you buy full cancer cure, um, eventually, once we prove it out in a clinical trial, you'll be able to take it to cure your cancer. Right. 
I, there's not much of a difference between that and full self-driving scam. No, uh, it's it, just it's it, something that doesn't exist. That's but it's so it's so profoundly outrageous to conceive for most people that they have a hard time believing it's possible. Yeah, that well, what they, they, they got to think, true. oh, well, he you know, he kind of knows what's going on or he's just yeah. got a couple more tweaks he's got to make. You know, that it's like, can't be true. Regulators would have stopped him by now. Right? You it's know, like, like, no, he's not even fucking close. He's not even close. Yeah, it, honestly, full curing cancer is closer to reality than Tesla FSD. I mean, give me a break. Yeah. Anyways, all right, TC. Well, listen, man, thanks for coming on and thanks Anytime. for uh, taking the time to break all that shit down. I want to actually uh, – I want to go off topic for a second too. I wasn't planning on asking you about this, but now I just kind of want your opinion sure. anyways. I noticed you've been tweeting about the uh, the mess in Afghanistan over the last couple of days, and uh, I wanted to get your general take on uh, on that with uh, obviously how that's being handled and then also kind of the state of uh, – the state of our reaction to COVID in the nation. Are we underdoing it, overdoing it? What do you, what do you think? I, I, you know, we don't really talk politics, me and you sure. a lot, but I'm interested on, in your, your perspective. Sure. And I, I try to, honestly, I try to avoid politics on TC, but sometimes you can. And I was tweeting a little bit about Afghanistan. I think in one tweet I said, if, if Joe Biden comes out and talks about COVID at this press conference, his presidency is over. I, I do think this is a very dangerous time for the Biden administration. You know, there's under an undercurrent of, uh, some doubts about his sort of uh, competency to begin with. You know, he says a lot of a lot of things that would make you sort of blink a little bit and, and wonder what's going on there. Um, this was a very, you know, look, I'd say it, look, nobody doubts that getting out of Afghanistan was an admirable objective. Um, I don't know why we were still there for 20 years. If anything, this should be very strong proof that we should have a far higher bar to getting into these wars in the first place. It were kind of like 0 for 2 on the last, well, really 0 for 3 on the last three big ones, um, Vietnam, Iraq, and Afghanistan. Um, for 20 years, we've been pouring money into a furnace um, that got us less than nothing. It hurt us. And I actually feel very terrible for all of the soldiers who sacrificed and have PTSD yeah. and are forced to watch, you know, what could be conceived as their good work being thrown away so quickly. Yeah, the Afghan soldiers uh, too. Yeah. Yeah. So nobody is arguing and I'm not arguing that getting out wasn't a good policy. It's all about the execution of course. And um, you know, the scenes that you see of Kabul are just heart wrenching, you know, people clinging onto airplanes and falling from the sky in a desperate attempt to get out. And I don't know how many thousands of Americans are still there. It's, it's a tragic situation, so I don't want to make light of it. I'm not saying that you and I could have done any better, um, but it's a, just objectively, agnostically, as an observer, this is a very, very dangerous time for the Biden administration and the public's perception of their competency. You know, if you think about Jimmy Carter and the and the um, the, the, the hostage crisis in Iran. Uh, gosh, 40 years ago already, maybe 43, 44 years ago. It's amazing. Um, you know, that crippled him. Um, and this could cripple Joe Biden as well. So I just think, you know, it's very careful to see, very careful to watch, I think, going forward, what China does in response, you know, with the whole Taiwan situation. I think there could be some escalation there. But look, I'm not a I'm not a political expert. I'm just an observer like did you. you and did they, you vote for Biden? I did not. Okay. Uh, I did not vote for Trump either. Um not to like, not that it's anybody's business, but I, I well, voted. It isn't my business, but that's why I like yeah. to ask. I like to put people, yeah, I, put people on the spot while I'm recording I, I them voted, for a podcast. Uh, I, I voted libertarian. Um, okay. Which is probably 
similar to your views politically. Yes. Um, as for COVID, you and I probably have a, a different set of beliefs on COVID, which is fine. You know, um, honestly held beliefs sort of presented uh, in a polite way are, are very good. Um, I, I, like you, I saw the early videos coming out of China. And, and as a prepper, I, I sort of um, stepped up my game a little bit and uh, was very early on the preps and the masks. And um, yeah, I remember we, you know, t- we talked about it, I think. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, I would say, look, I, I got the COVID vaccine. My, my entire family got the vaccine. Um, I, ironically, after having been very hard on Moderna, uh, was randomly assigned Moderna when it was my turn to go. Um, I, I, I'm sort of in the middle on this. I, I, I don't, it doesn't actually bother me that people don't want to get the vaccine. I ultimately, you know, it's still a free country. Um, there's people who violently disagree with me saying that on the, on the sort of leftern part of the spectrum. Um, I, I respect the disease. I got the vaccine, but also I think, you know, at some point we got to get back to normal. And uh, if you look at what's going on in Australia and, and New Zealand, it's mind boggling. Yeah. I do think there are people that are taking advantage of the situation um, to sort of take away people's rights. I do worry about that. I mean, you can be, pro-vaccine and not pro-forcing the vaccine and you can be pro-vaccine and not pro-vaccine passports um so it's a complex situation i i I, it's not something that i advocate a lot on uh, because it's just not you know i got enough going on with tesla for god's sakes um i don't need to pick every fight or be involved in every fight but um i i sort of down the middle on this one I, i i think people shouldn't be forced to get a vaccine um at some point you know the the historical course of, of viruses like this is they become more contagious and less deadly over time. Right. And we're not going to ever eradicate it. There's just too many different approaches to it. So if you just look at what's going on in Florida versus what's being done in China with a zero tolerance policy, you know, the, the COVID vaccine is not going to be eradicated in a way like, um, you know, the measles uh, almost were or polo, polio was because the vaccines actually don't, you know, um, provide that level of, of uh, efficacy. So in the end, we're just sort of bridging to the point where this just becomes more like the flu um, and people get it and you try to prevent it and, and you treat people that have it. Um, here's an interesting thought experiment. Like what set of circumstances would it take for people to stop measuring COVID? Right. Like well, we've, we've it, it, has this... to ha- it has to happen at some point, right? It doesn't. I mean, that's my point. Like, really? So like what would have to happen for people to just stop measuring it? It's not going away. So well, we don't. We it. don't really. I mean, we measure the flu every year. The CDC does, but people aren't concerned. You know, and every once in a while, you get the headline: "Oh, it's going to be a tough flu season" or whatever. You sure. know, people are. You know, and and I think it's a very very long. Uh, you know, uh, it's a very long process, but I think we get to that point eventually with COVID because that's that's the reality of the situation. The reality of the situation is like you said, it's going to be more infectious and less deadly and it is here to stay and so you know at some point we're gonna have to look up and you know like right now like you mentioned australia they had what one death and they shut down the whole country or something (laughs) it's like come on you know people have to die you know like it's a terrible thing you know but occasionally if you have a country of several million people a person's gonna die here and there you know when we didn't know when we didn't know what COVID was D- different all, story totally different when, story when all we saw were people dropping dead in the mm-hmm. street in china and people being welded into their homes in right. china totally different and you're, story you're thinking to yourself man what does she know that we don't i'm gonna go ahead and up the paranoia game a little bit here for me and my family uh but we're 
18, 20 months into this. Uh, we know what it is. Um, now, look, I think it's it's too bad that it's become political. So one thing for sure is just a complete failure of, of politics uh, in the U.S. Like we we can't on both sides. Like I think Trump was wrong when he said 15 going to zero. And I think um, Biden was wrong when he tried to undercut the virus ahead of the election and then suddenly did a 180 once he's president and he realizes that the vaccine, sorry, when Biden and Kamala Harris during the campaign were actively undercutting trust yeah. in the vaccine. Yep. Um, I think that boomeranged on them now. And, there's, you know, it, in people's minds, it all became political. And that's a shame. It's sad. Um, I, you know, as a scientist, I, I, I've read as much as I could. I felt comfortable taking the vaccine. I totally understand why, especially in a hyper-political environment like this. Some people, even a lot of people, might not want to. That's fine. I, I doesn't bother me. If I get sick from COVID, I get sick from COVID. Um, it's got a pretty decent survival rate for people in my age group and for my family. Um, it, 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 it is what it is. Like, there's just no changing it, by the way. And me having a strong opinion on it is not going to affect anything. God knows having a strong opinion on Tesla didn't affect anything. So ultimately, there's only so much <laughs> energy I can waste on these types of things. Um, but I do think another real sort of interesting concept is um, if we follow through on what, like, de Blasio, who I think is just a buffoon, um, an idiot, uh, in New York has done with this, um, the key to New York, you know, like you can't go to a restaurant, you can't go to any indoor event, essentially, unless you can prove that you have the vaccine. That There's no way that small businesses can accept that because you're going to knock off 20, 30% of their clients. It's just dumb, you know? Let's, it's let's do just, another thought experiment. It's fucking, it's just arriving at a conclusion with doing no risk-reward analysis, no critical thinking, and, you know, hey, we're seeing now protests in Melbourne, in yeah, France. People don't yeah. want to be locked down. And people are understanding just exactly how deadly this virus is, just how much or how little of a problem it is, depending on what side of the spectrum you're looking at it from. And they don't want to be locked down anymore. People are willing to accept the risk of going out. And, you know, and so I don't know what it's going to take for certain people in government to understand that. Uh, but uh, I think eventually they're going to because I, I, th I think they're not going to have a choice. You know, I think yeah. the, the people are going to make up their mind for them. Well, another thread that I put out on Twitter, again, I'm not getting into the politics of it because, again, I'm just tired of it. But um, just an agnostic analysis, which is, you know, if you have to have a vaccination to work and the, there's a lot of pressure on the big companies to enforce that policy. Uh, we have a labor shortage in the country today, which is right. driving some of the inflationary pressures that we see. There's more job openings than there are people in the market looking to work right now. So literally, it's impossible that all the jobs that are open can get filled. The price of labor is, is, is in a way, just like any other sort of input into the business cycle, right? Um, no different than the price of oil or the price of, you know, what other, what, what electricity. Sure. Yep. Uh, the, the labor has a price. It has a clearing price. And if we say that 20 or 30 percent of the labor force is disqualified, that clearing price is going way up, way up for the. So what is the what is the price of a vaccinated worker in, in a sense? You know, like um, if, if 20 or 25 percent of the population refuses of the working population refuses to get a vaccine and that means they're disqualified from getting a job, um, that means the people who are vaccinated get to charge a lot higher wages. Right. Uh, because they're going to be in way more demand. You know, the price sure. elasticity of demand for qualified workers is is quite high. Um, and so we're going to it's going to be I, I don't know the answers, Chris. Like I say, I, I last thing I would do is tell anybody what their personal choice should be uh, on the vaccine or, you know, what their personal stance is towards COVID. I'm very lucky. 
um, in the sense that I, I could sort of keep living my life even under a lockdown in a way that minimally disrupted me. I recognize certainly right. not everybody is in that situation, especially people on the sort of um, the, the lower end of the economic tier. Um, they have to go to work. They have to pay their bills. Um, and so, you know, it's a complex situation made more complex by our political polarization. I think it's just it's just undoubtedly true that politics uh, has spoiled much of the country's response to COVID, which makes me sad. And I, I blame both sides uh, for that. Um, you know, the whole argument about what aboutism is is silly. But I, I'm pro-vaccine. I, I wished more people would have gotten the vaccine. I understand why many haven't. Um, and such is life. At some point, like you say, um, we have to move on. Yeah. Do you remember calling me in uh, January 2020, like when the whole thing <laughs> first started? Yeah. I was out. Yeah. I was at a Walmart. I was yeah. out like buying supplies and stuff. Yeah. It was like the second week of January. Nobody was giving a shit at all about yeah. COVID. Nobody was taking it seriously. And I remember you called me and you were like, yeah, you know, like I think I think uh, I think I'm going to start buying some things like I think some, <laughs> I think something's going on here. I was like, yeah, dude, I think something's going on, too. Yeah. And I remember you told me to buy a Brita. I'll never forget. You were like, make yeah. sure you make sure you have a Brita so you can filter water if you need to. And I was like, oh, that's a good one. I didn't fucking have a Brita yet. You know, whatever. Yeah, you were buying bottled water. And I was like, no, no, just buy a filter. Yeah, a lot, yep, that's it's right. A lot, it's a lot lighter than 100 bottles of water. Uh, you get get the equivalent capacity to produce water uh, down the road. But look, at that time, that was the prudent thing to do. And now, look, there's also some questions about whether that wasn't a disinformation campaign. I mean. Um, because in reality, the disease was, I would say, absent that that sort of propaganda that was spreading wildly on social media, mm -hmm. I'm not so sure that the initial response would have been a lockdown. Oh, yeah, I know. I know. And, they, and that's what it was. I was going back and looking through. Uh, I put this post on my sub stack that's all of my 2020 analysis uh, of COVID as it was happening. And sure. I'll put the link to that in my podcast description if people want to check it out. But as I was going back through my old tweets, I, you know, saw the pictures of them, you know, filling in the tunnels with dirt, welding the people in the houses. Like you said, that the videos of people dropping dead at the bus station, he was just like, Oh my God, it was horrifying back yeah. in January because you were like, all these can't be fake. Like what the hell is going on? Like, what was that? Was that a propaganda campaign? Was it, what was it? I don't know. But, you know, if it, in the absence of that, it's hard to argue that we would have had the same COVID policy that we evolved. To. Correct. So, I don't know. It's a complex question. And uh, God, God knows I've bitten off enough with Tesla. I don't, you know, that's don't tweet me because you don't like part of my, you know, hey, how dare you give the vaccine to your teenagers or whatever? You know, it's my choice. Yeah. Leave him alone. This. Leave me alone. Yeah, we won't exactly. tell you how to live your lives and don't tell us how to live ours. Exactly. Cool. TC, thanks so much for coming on, dude. Appreciate you Anytime, on a Saturday brother. morning. Thanks. Talk, Talk to you soon. soon. That was the one, the only Tesla Charts. Great guy. Highly informative. Did the podcast on a whim like all of my podcast guys do. But I knew after AI Day we had to have him on and talk about that steaming pile of dung that was served up uh, from Mr. Musk. So thank you, Mr. Musk, for that. Looking forward to my humanoid robot uh, coming in and doing menial and sometimes dangerous tasks at my uh, apartment for me. Can you have him chop carrots, please? I'd like to make a soup later today. Finally, before I leave, I want to shout myself out. Hello, me. Great job you're doing, Chris. Uh, I have a new column that is coming out weekly, sometimes more than weekly. It's called Fringe Finance. I named it after some insult that a guy lobbed at me in a podcast review thing, so that guy can officially go fuck himself. And also, thank you for the motivation and the inspiration. Uh, it is called Fringe Finance. It's over at Substack. The link to that is in my podcast description. 
Uh, would love to have you over there. The content a little bit different than my podcast, a little bit more about my investing and trading decisions. The link to Fringe Finance is over in my podcast description. Check it out. Sign up with your email. Would love to have you over there. And really looking forward to putting down a lot more of my thoughts over on Substack. I like those guys a lot. It'll be more uh, investment-based stuff and a little bit less ranting and insanity uh, that you hear on my podcast. Because believe it or not, I do have an appetite for semi-serious information every once in a while. Uh, Of course, peppered with numerous dick and fart jokes because you got to have your style, folks, you know, and mine is uh, old, old, faithful, old, reliable, just gross humor and, uh, you know, cheap, 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 dirty laughs. That's really it. Oh, all right, fools. Wow. I got my voice back just in time to say goodbye and get the F out of here. The F stands for fuck. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been the QTR podcast. I am out of here. Peace.